How's everybody doing tonight? You say wonderful? Okay. See, I thought you said terrible. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. Okay. Fabulous. Okay. How's everyone else doing? <laughs> you know what's terrible here? That's great. I'm, uh, I'm jealous of Gloria back there, crawling around, tumbling on the ground. And Miles just sits there, stares at me. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. So, I'm going to open up to first, or excuse me, second Samuel, um, chapter 14. We are going to continue through the book of second Samuel. We got new glasses today. I'm still getting used to them. Everything looks abnormally clear. And it's making me a little dizzy, actually. Man, that's no fun. You're not used to being able to see? No. <laughs> yeah. I look so incredibly flawed in the mirror now. Every morning I'd wake up and I'd be like, whoa, who's that handsome guy? <laughs> now I'm like, oh my. The years have ravaged you, Michael. <laughs> so, yeah, what can you do? <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and begin with a, uh, with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us, Lord, to study your word, Lord, to sit at your feet. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and let us uh, just draw close to you and see what you would have to say to us. Um, I do believe that there's you know, something specific for each and every one of us the, this evening. So I pray, God, that uh, you, you'd remove whatever obstacles exist in our hearts that would keep us uh, from receiving your word. Um, and, and Lord, I praise you, God, for always being so faithful, Lord, to speak to us, Lord, to reach out to us, to forgive us, to reconcile us to yourself. And I praise you. I trust this into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So if you remember from last week, Amnon, uh, he, his, his infatuation for his half-sister, uh, Tamar um, drove him to pursue a romantic relationship with her, e even though he knew that it wasn't proper for him to do so. And when she refused his uh, advances, he overpowered her and raped her. Um, and it was a, it was a, a difficult uh, study l last week. I listened to it online. I wasn't able to be here with you. Um, but, but after he, he raped her, in his own mind, all the affection that he had for her, now he saw her as something that, that he, had, he had sullied, and he hated her. He despised her, the Bible says, more than he had ever loved her. And he kicks her uh, out, of his, out of his room, and, and the door is locked behind her, and she seeks refuge uh, with her brother Absalom. Absalom uh, advises her to keep quiet. He says, listen, don't, don't raise a fuss. Uh, j just, just be quiet, and, and it'll be taken care of. And for two years, nothing is done. Uh, for, for two years, everything looks like it's, it's past, and, and everything is peaceful. And, and, and then Absalom uh, devises this scheme. 
He says, we're going to have, uh, or I'm going to invite all my half-brothers uh, on over out of town, and we're going to have a huge party, and everyone's going to drink and be merry and all this. And and he conspires with his men. He says, when, when Amnon is is drunk and when his guard is down, we're going to strike him and we're going to kill him to pay him back for what he did uh, to my sister. And that's exactly what he does. He murders his half-brother, and then he flees to uh, Geshur. And there he stays for three years. And David is distraught, obviously. One of his sons is now dead. And uh, But, but the, the interesting thing is that the way that chapter 13 ends is not only is one of his sons dead, but one of his other sons is now lost to him. So he's mourning the loss of not one son, but two. And he he longs to go to him. He longs to go to Absalom. And and, and reading this, I, I, I always just, just want to grab David and say, well, what's the matter with you? Absalom is a murderer. Why would you want to go to this person? Why would you seek to comfort this person? Why would you? Why? I mean, it's 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 insanity, and and this man is a monster, and you will see soon that that he's a he's a usurper, and and everything else, he's a bad guy, and and yet David is sitting around opining his absence, and and his heart is 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 aching, and and the the, the murderer is gone, and and David misses him. I probably shouldn't share this story, but I'm going to anyways. Gil could edit it out later. The heart of a parent that's unlike anything else uh, in, in all the world. It beats with unconditional love. It's, it's irrational. It's unreasonable. It's, it's nearly insane. And that's the heart of our God. All right? And it's so wonderfully captured here this this unreasonable insane heart that beats with unconditional love how many times have 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 we done this to to our own brothers as absalom did to amnon we hated our brothers and 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 of course we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the study or in matthew chapter 5 jesus says that that you don't have to murder your brother you don't have to murder your sister you've done as much when you hated them in your heart and how often i've done that and i still have a father that loves me and, and, and tries to reach out to me that longs to be reconciled to me, that wants nothing more than just to go to me. How often, as Absalom will soon do, usurp his father's throne? How often do I do that when I cease to pray and when I trust in myself more than I trust in God and put myself on the throne of my life rather than God? Uh, and, and, and yet he loves us, uh, the kind of love that only a parent can possess. And that's where we really pick up in our study today, in chapter 14, beginning, beginning in verse 1. Joab, son of Zariah, uh, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. And we're going to pause there for a second, because when I read this at home, and, and this is usually what, what I do uh, when, I, when I read the Bible, I, I read something, and, and then I ask uh, j- just dozens of questions. And, and, and usually I, I ask questions that I can answer. Um, and that's the way that I prepare, you know, something to talk about. So I've asked these questions. I, I have the answers. And then I can come and I can talk. Uh, and I couldn't do that with this. Uh, so many questions. 
I have no idea what the answers are. Um, so, so I'm going to ask them uh, to you. And, and you can interrupt if you like, but, but they're largely rhetorical. All right? So here's the first one. What does Joab really want? Right, and here's here's a man, and, and you know Joab. What what? For, maybe we should begin here. What do we know about Joab? What have we learned about him thus far? He's a conniver. Is Joab a good, godly man? Not really. Is Joab loyal to David? He, he, we've seen nothing to, to, to conflict with that. I mean, without a doubt, he's been fiercely loyal to David, even to going behind David's back and murdering people that could possibly be a threat to David's throne. And David, Joab, is not a, he's not a great man. But why, why would he seek to bring these two back together again? Why would he want Absalom back in the kingdom? Kingdom. And Absalom's presence would be as much a threat to Joab's position as it would be to David's position. As Absalom, as we're going to see uh, in, in a moment, is, is a superstar in the nation of, of Israel. He's a charismatic politi- political figure. Right? So Joab's quest to bring him back is odd. Right? It's, it's very unusual. And, and, and does he have David's uh, the heart and, and emotions in mind, I, I can't say that he does. He never has done anything in the scriptures that has led me to believe that he's an empathetic character in any way. The only thing that, that I can uh, c- conclude about this, this, this quest that Joab's going to set out on is, is that he, he sees in Absalom someone that is dangerous and, and has potential to uh, to jeopardize the the throne in Israel that David sits upon, and that Joab enjoys the luxury of being his right hand man. All right, so uh, he 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 undertakes this whole thing with the mentality that that is uh, come in our culture to fall under the umbrella of this figure of speech, where you know you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He would like to have Absalom there so that he can keep kind of a watchful eye over him just in case the, the young man decides to uh, set out and, and do something uh, terrible. Now, we're going to see, uh, maybe in our next study, Absalom try to overthrow uh, the, his, his own father in the nation of Israel. We're also going to see in the next few chapters uh, some implications as to why Joab might have brought Absalom back in the first place. And uh, it's not good. It seems less like there's concern for this father and son, son relationship and more, uh, more cunning in, in his uh, desire to settle this issue. This issue. And, and I bring up all this, this confusion uh, to, to draw us into a singular question. And, and, and it's this. Um, does it really matter why we do the things we do? if it's a good thing that we're doing. Without a doubt, Joab was doing a good thing, right? He was bringing a father back, or, or a son back to his father. He was reconciling a family, right? But is it enough to do the right thing for the wrong reason? And for that matter, is it okay to do the wrong thing for the right reason? Right? I'm not sure there's an answer to this question either. 
right? So I've really just added more confusion to the, the entire study. Uh, but uh, when I was in youth group uh, several years ago, I was, I was talking to, to Corinne today, and, and she said that it's been 11 years since we graduated. And then I realized that it's been 11 years since youth group. And, and I also realized that, that I'm incredibly old. Um, and, but, but, but it was, uh, but it was uh, in youth group that, that my, my youth pastor one day thought that it would be fun to discuss uh, moral dilemmas, uh, the, these moral conflicts. And I actually found the specific one uh, online, because you can find anything online these days. It's fantastic. Um, I found the specific one that he read to us uh, that evening. And, and, and it was this. He, he painted this elaborate picture of, of, uh, of a father, and, and you're the father, or you're the mother, and, and your child is terminally ill, um, and, and they're dying of a, a rare uh, kind of cancer. And there's, there's one drug, right, that the doctor said, this, this drug might save um, your child, but, and it's a form of radium that a local druggist has, uh, you know, uh, turned into some miracle cancer-curing drug. And he said, you know what, it's expensive. Uh, the, the druggist is, it pays quite a bit for the radium. It's like $400. Profit margin is times 10. So $4,000 is, is, this, is this drug in a small dose. And, and I remember as a kid hearing that number and thinking, oh my gosh, $4,000, that's insane. And now as, as an adult, I'm like, that's, that's really not terrible. So, <laughs> but but he's, he, the scenario is you, you go all over uh, and you try and find $4,000. And in all the world, you can't find it, right? So apparently it never occurs to you as a parent to like take a mortgage out on your house or sell your car or whatever it might be. You can't do it. You've asked everyone and you've gotten up to $2,000. And you go to the druggist and you say, listen, I have $2,000. I have half the money. Would it be okay? My son is dying for me to pay $2,000, uh, and I could pay you the rest later. Maybe we can do a down payment on the drug or whatever. And, and the druggist says, no, I discovered the drug. I am going to make money on it. And uh, so having tried uh, every legal means to, to obtain it, uh, now you decide that you're going to break in and you're going to steal it. Um, and, and the question was that evening in the moral dilemma discussion group for youth group, what do you do? Do you steal the drug to save the life of your child? And every single one of us that evening said no. Every single one of us said no. And uh, the conclusion that we came to, and it was a very reasonable conclusion, and follow me through with this, that would be a crime. Crimes are sinful. Sin is wrong. And, and, you know, God smiled upon us that evening. Our youth pastor looked at us and said, well done. And, and we called it a night. And now as a father, now as a parent, I, I think about that. And, and I go, I, I would do everything I could do to obtain the drug legally if it meant my child's life. But if I could not... In a heartbeat, I would break into that place. I would steal that drug. I would give it to my child, and then I would turn myself into the police the next morning. It's, that's not, there's no uh, hesitation 
in, in, in my mind when it comes to that. But, but this is what Jesus spoke about when he spoke to the Pharisees, right? He, he speaks to the Pharisees and he says, despite the fact that you follow 248 commandments and 365 restrictions based upon the Jewish law and traditions, uh, your heart is not pure and you're amongst the most wicked of sinners in all the world. And he goes, you follow the letter of the law, but your heart is depraved. You've missed the entire purpose for the law, right? You don't murder, but you hate, right? Matthew 5. And, and, and you don't commit adultery, but you lust also in Matthew 5. And, and, and you give to the poor, but you do so only to look good. And that's Matthew 6, right? You're doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. And that's detrimental, to our spirituality. That's detrimental to our Christianity, but it's something that we do all the time, right? We give to, uh, let's say, a homeless person so that we can brag about it later to our Christian friends. We, we drive our children to success in academics and athletics because for whatever reason, we feel like it reflects positively upon us if, if they excel. And we help out at church so that we're seen and held in a high regard. I'm constantly having to check my own motivations, and here's why. It's, it's not because I, what, what I do, I feel really good about. It's because what I do, I feel really bad about. I've never taught a study that I didn't leave feeling terrible, feeling like a failure. And, 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 but I have to go home and I have to check myself and say, well, am I doing it for some emotional gratification? Or am I doing what I do for the glory of God? And listen, it can swing dramatically the other direction, right? We can do what we do, and you can, might say, well, I do it for all the altruistic uh, motivations in, in all the world. There is nothing uh, gratifying uh, you know, you know, for, for, for me and, and your accolades or whatever it might be. But a lot of time we do what we do because it makes us feel good. And right, I, I have to look at myself and say, well, well was, I just, was I faithful to the word? Well, to the best of my ability. Right? And, and, and did I point people towards their creator? Well, I certainly tried. Right? Then, then I cannot uh, let even my, my feelings motivate me. I, I have to say, well, I've been faithful, or at least I've attempted uh, to be. And so often I think, how, how are we any different from the Pharisees that did everything that we do and much, much more and yet at the, the end of the day, when they, they were face to face with God in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus looked at them and said, I'm not impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm very much so not pleased by, by what I see. Uh, be, because I see before your hands or beyond your hands and I see into your heart. And, and I don't sit down with you to sup with you to, to ask you, uh, what did you do today? But I sit down with you to sup with you to ask you, why did you do what you did today? Right, in Jeremiah 17, verse 10, and it's an excellent cross-reference verse to write down. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, 
each will receive their praise from God. Listen, it's a, it's a good thing what Joab did. A reconciling father and son, bringing a family back together, those are all really good things. And as I said before, in a couple of chapters, maybe we'll find out a little bit more about why he did uh, what he did. Uh, but, but the fact remains, he did do a good thing, and that's good. right? I don't want you to, to misinterpret what I'm saying. Doing good things, that's a good thing. right? Uh, people are, are blessed by those things. It's a benefit to others uh, that, that we do those things. It's not bad to tithe and to serve, whatever we might do. Uh, but, but the question that should probe our heart, the question that certainly probed my heart while I, while I study this and, and, and now while I, while I say this, uh, is, 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 is to know that, that one day I will stand before God and, and that God will, will look at me and he'll say, why did you really do that? Why did you really do all of that? And the best thing for me isn't to think about that now and for me to come to the conclusion that I'm doing the right thing for the wrong reasons and then stop doing those things. But for me to determine that I'm doing the right thing for the wrong reasons and to repent and start doing them for the right reasons and to start doing everything that, that I do uh, to, to the glory of God. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the campaign uh, for reconciliation of father and son is is undertaken by Joab. And now we're going to see this this scheme that he comes up with uh, to bring Absalom home. And we're going to start moving much more rapidly. We've only talked about one verse, actually, and, and it's been quite a while. Um, so um, you know, I'm sorry. So verse 2. So Joab sent someone to Tekoa and uh, had a wise woman brought from there. And he said to her, pretend you are in mourning, dress in mourning clothes, and don't say, or don't use, excuse me, any cosmetic lotions. Uh, Act like a woman who has uh, spent many days grieving for the dead. Then go to the king and uh, speak these words to him. And Joab put the words in her uh, mouth. And we're going to kind of pause there for a second. So this is Joab's scheme. He, and it's really kind of an interesting one biblically. He hires an actor, right? And he hires this actor and he says, "Listen, uh, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to give you all the training you need, and then you're going to go to Joe, or you're, excuse me, you're going to go to David, and you're going to plead a case because uh, in this day, David, being the king of Israel, he he was kind of like our executive, legislative, and legislative, excuse me, and judicial branch all combined in one. So on certain days, he would be the Supreme Court." And uh, you'd go and you'd plead a very important case before him. Uh, and, and that's what uh, Joab was bringing this woman to do. You're going to go, you're going to stand before the Supreme Court. You're going to plead this case. And their hope is to bring David to this Nathan the prophet moment. Do you guys remember what happened a few chapters ago with Nathan the prophet? <clears throat> right, where uh, David had uh, taken Bathsheba uh, and you know, slept with her, then murdered her husband Uriah, and uh, then he was kind of living in sin, and it was all a big secret. And then Nathan comes and says, "Hey, David, I want to tell you about this terrible thing that happened in the kingdom." And he's like, "There was this guy, and uh, he was poor, only had like one lamb." And then this rich guy comes, you know, through, and he's like, "Well, I want something to eat, and uh, we're gonna take that lamb 
from this guy, and we're going to eat that lamb. And it's like, well, he has a bunch of lambs that he could eat himself, but he takes this precious pet, and that's what they kill, and that's what they eat. And David's like, no, we need to murder this guy. And then Nathan the prophet says, David, you're the guy. And David's just caught. And Joab knows this from a couple of chapters ago, and he says, hey, maybe we can do that again. Maybe we can catch David in this great scheme, and we can put on another play. And uh, then at the end of it, we can say, David, you're the guy. And David will be, no, cursed again, foiled. And, uh, you know, and then we got him. Um, so we'll see how it works out for them. Let's continue in verse 4, if I can find it. When the woman from Tekoa went to the king, she fell with her face to the ground to pay him honor. And she said, help me, O king. The king asked her, what is troubling you? And she said, I am indeed a widow. My husband is dead. I, your servant, had two sons. They got into a fight with each other in the field, and no one was there to separate them. The one struck the other and killed him. Now the whole clan has risen up against your servant. They say, hand over the one who struck his brother down so that we uh, may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. Then he will, uh, or, excuse me, then we will get rid of the heir as well. And they would uh, put out the only burning coal I had left, leaving my husband neither uh, name nor descendant on the face of the earth. And the king said to the woman, go home and I will issue an order your behalf. But the woman from Tekoa said to him, my lord, the king, let the blame rest on me and on my fa uh, father's family and let the king and his throne be without guilt. And the king replied, if anyone says anything to you, bring him to me and uh, he will not bother you again. She said, then let the king invoke the Lord, his God, to prevent the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction so that uh, my son will not be destroyed. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, not one hair of your son's head will fall to the ground. So, you know, not quite as uh, powerful a scenario as what Nathan brought, but nonetheless, very manipulative and creative on the part of Joab and, and this woman. And so far, everything is just going uh, right to plan, right? There, there's, there's not a hitch in it. Uh, husband is dead. Um, one son killed the other, and now that son should be punished, right, according to to justice. Um, but the woman says, he's all I have left, and could you forgive him and allow the murderer to come home? So it's not exactly the same as what David's going through, but there's enough overlap for her to be able to say, David, this is about you, um, and turn the tables on him. But I like what he says, right? She gets to a point where she's ready for him to rule, and he says, okay, go home, I'll figure it out. And then she says, well, that's, that's not exactly what I wanted. I kind of like a decision now. And, and so he says, uh, okay, well, you know, I'll make sure that everything's okay. And then essentially she says, well, you know, that, that's not really the point. It's not really about me, so I'd like for you to make this decision. And then he finally breaks down and says, okay, nothing will happen to your son. And finally they got him right where they want him. So they move in for the kill, this kind of Nathan the prophet moment. And uh, that's where we continue in verse 12. Oh, no, if I could find that. Where are you, 12? Oh, then the woman said, let your servant speak a word to my lord, the king. Speak, he replied. Now, this is very bold. The woman said, why then have you devised a thing like uh, this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? For the king has not brought back his banished son. 
like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. And now I have come to say this to my Lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. Your servant thought I will speak to the king. Perhaps you will do what his servant asks. Perhaps the king will agree to deliver his servant from the hand of the man who is trying to cut off both me and my son uh, from the inheritance God gave us. And now your servant says, may the word of the Lord, the king, uh, bring me rest. For my Lord, the king, is like an angel of God in discerning good and evil. She's laying it on a little thick now. May the Lord your God be with you. Then the king said to the woman, do not keep from me. Uh, the the answer what I am uh, going to ask you let the Lord the king speak uh, the woman said and the king asked isn't the hand of Joab with you in all this and this is really just one of my favorite David moments it's just so good hello you know after after all of this this elaborate uh, plan uh, to to confront uh, David and and uh, get him to deal with his family issues and squabbles and, and this eloquent speech that you can tell she just put so much thought into so much time into uh, and 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 all this David just says uh, Joab put you up to this didn't he and that's it that's 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 the conclusion of the matter and and he just sees right through the whole thing uh, the, and it's, it's all you know overacted and overscripted but but the question is. And maybe this is as far as we'll get today, which which is you know, rough because there's so many more pages. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, maybe it's maybe it's this: um, Was this the right thing to do? Was it right to seek reconciliation over justice? And that's a good question, I think, to ask at this point, because that's the point of what this woman is saying. She's saying, "Listen, I, I don't want you to do what's fair, right? What's fair would be." For Absalom to be put to death. In her scenario, in this you know, a fictitious narrative that she's created, what's just would be for her other son to be put to death. Right? According to, to, to their law, he murdered. So he ought to be uh, he ought to be murdered as well. Right, but she says uh, we need to set aside justice for reconciliation. And is that the right thing to do? I think that's a valid question to ask. I think it's a valid question for us to consider because so often we want justice, right? We've been wronged and, and we feel like it's it's right. Uh, it's fully justifiable for us to uh, at least get even if we're not going over and above and getting back at, at whoever it was that, that wronged us in some way. But But verse 14 is really brilliant. Take another look at verse 14. And, and essentially what she says there is, is, what is your life but water spilled on the ground? All right, it can't be recovered. And she's saying it's all too short to be squandered, uh, to, to, to waste uh, your, your life, this time that, that you can't get back with resentment. You know, every uh, child that, that comes into the, the center for tutoring, uh, before they do their, their little warm-up, they get a cup of water. 
you know, since the brain is mostly water, it's incredibly beneficial uh, to drink that but before a time of learning and all of this. And so they get their cup, and, and the cup is, you know, it's, it's light. It's a paper cup. And then they walk over to the, the sparklets uh, machine. Is that a machine? Would you call that a machine? I suppose it reaches like the minimum quiet. Yeah, dispenser is probably the better word. Thank you, teacher. Um, so, you know, you, you walk over to the, to the water dispenser. And, and, and they have this cup that, that's incredibly light, and then they start filling it up with water, and, and water is somewhat heavy. And it, there reaches a point where if you don't change the force that you're putting on the cup, it goes right out of your hands. And every single day, it happens at least once. Where it just, you know, they walk in, they get their cup, then they walk over and they start filling it. And just, you know, they push down on the lever, and they're filling it, and then it's just, and it just falls right on the ground. And usually their hand is still there, and their finger's still on the water. And that's just, it's just like, you know, adding fuel to the fire. There's already, you know, a cup and water all over the place, and now there's just more water all over the place. And, but at that point, it's over, right? It's gone. You're never going to get that water back. It's on the ground. That's, that's, it, it's through, right? And, and, and that's what this woman is saying. That is your life. Right? That's your life. You're squandering it. You're, you're just letting it waste away. You're, you're letting it you know, evaporate into the ground. You can never get back this time. Yesterday is gone. None of us can relive yesterday. None of us can get that time back. Right? And so the point of, the, 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 this woman and her speech is, is, is if you don't want to live your life like that, then, then do something about it now. Then today is the time uh, that you should seek reconciliation. Because every moment that you waste in hatred is a moment that you will never get back. It's a moment that you will never see again, right? So this is uh, the the time to to move forward in reconciliation. You know, I've heard so many people say uh, things like, uh, I'll never forgive that person for for what they did to me. Um, You know, and sometimes there are truly horrific things uh, that that are done to people. And it's difficult to reconcile those things with yourself, let alone with someone else. But even then, the, the choice is still with you. Right? Even then, the, the choice is still with me. It's, it's, what am I going to do now with this moment before it's on the floor, evaporating before it's gone? You know, before I was a Christian, and I'm, I'm going to say that again, because some of you, immediately when I make this reference, which Corinne told me that I probably shouldn't make, but I'm going to make it anyways. <clears throat> uh, I, before I was a Christian, uh, I, I saw the, the movie that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. In a place like this, you're, you're not going to own it, and you're, you'll be like, no sinner. Uh, but, but I saw the movie American History X, and it was a movie that, that had, had an incredible impact upon my life before I was a Christian. And there was this one truth that's communicated right at the end uh, of that movie um, that's confirmed all over the place in in scripture that that always stuck with me. And and, 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 and it's it's the voiceover, it's it's the narrator, uh, the the child in the movie. And, And he's reading his term paper that he wrote for his class. And he ends by saying, hate is baggage. Life is too short to be pissed off all the time. It's just not worth it. Right? And, and we walk around with so much anger and so much bitterness and so much resentment in, inside of us uh, so often. And life 
is just far too short for that. Life is just a spilled cup, right? And, and, and once it escapes, you can never get it back, and you'll never have that time back uh, to forgive and to be reconciled, to, to reach out to others in love. But listen, this is my point. People are flawed. We all are, right? And, and, and we, we, we tend to look at other people we all do this, and we look at everyone, and we're like, "Well, they're 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 messed up, or they're mean." And we look at some people, and we go, "Well, they're they're not narcissistic and self-absorbed." And we look at other people, and we go, "They're they're they're selfish, or they're stupid, or whatever it might be, depending on your maturity level." But but the reality is, listen, the reality is that we're all just very different. Right? And sometimes those, those differences in our interpersonal communications and contacts, they can be hurtful. Sometimes they could be sinful. Most of the time they're just annoying. Most of the time the differences in other people that we come in contact with, you just look at them and you're like, why aren't you like me? You're annoying. You know, but, but who are we? Really? I mean, who are we? Uh, but, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't always seek reconciliation. Right, Because according to verse 14, and this is the second part of verse 14, it's an incredible verse. This is what God is always seeking with us. Right? Isn't that amazing? I mean, we, we are, there, I've given God so many reasons. Right? The worst that, that anyone could ever do to me uh, is compounded uh, to, to times a thousand that I've done to him. He has every reason to shut his doors and never to hear me knocking, uh, to hide himself and never find me seeking uh, right uh, to, for for me to call and for him to never answer, and yet he's promised the the antithesis of every action. Right, he says all you need to do is just is, is just knock, is just seek, is just ask. I'll always be there for you. I'll always be available to you. Around every corner, he seeks to reconcile our relationship, to show me this kind of love, this kind of forgiveness that can only come. From him. And the agenda of it, the point behind it all, is so that I will receive that kind of love, that kind of forgiveness, and that I can be a person that then shows that kind of love and forgiveness to all the different, weird, narcissistic, annoying people in the world, just like myself, that don't deserve that kind of love. So that they can see that in such a terribly flawed world, this exists, and it's altogether otherworldly. It could only come from him. It's an incredible thing to consider that this is so powerfully put on display here. Should I end there? Ten minutes? It's been quite a while. Well, what do you say, Mr. Gill? Don't throw up your arms. You're my boss. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's close in prayer there, and maybe uh, I'll I'll talk to Sam. We'll we'll see if we can continue next time. This is still like half the text, uh, which would be you know terrible. Um, so uh, we'll go ahead and uh, close, and I'll pray, and uh, then then we can skedaddle. Most gracious heavenly Father, I thank you for this this time that we've had together. Lord, thank you for this concept of reconciliation. Lord, it's amazing to think of how much you know, we are loved despite who we are. 
it's amazing to think of what we deserve and what we actually receive. Lord, you are so incredible, so completely unnatural and abnormal. Lord, you love us as only a father could love, as really only a parent could love. Lord, each and every one of us is, is an Absalom where a troubled child. We're, we're a child that, that's, that's been through so much and, and marred, marred our standard of holiness to such a degree that you ought not have anything to do with us. And yet you constantly desire reconciliation every moment of every day. I pray, God, that, that we wouldn't allow our lives to disappear, dissipate as water on the floor before seeking reconciliation first with you. And then, Lord, with everyone that you have allowed into our lives into our influence because every single one of those people, every single one of those relationships with those people is an opportunity Lord, to show you in all of your glory. Lord, it's an opportunity for them to see that true love, that true forgiveness exists and it comes from you. They can come into contact with it through us. I praise you for that. I thank you for this awesome gift that you've given us. Lord, I ask your blessing upon all these people and pray, God, that you'd, you'd go with us this week. Lord, help us to seek reconciliation. Lord, to seek peace. And Lord, to at times dismiss justice to the best of our ability. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you.